Grab your Bible again. We're looking at Psalm 2. Uh, God speaks it to us. God speaks the Bible to us. And uh, we look to him to be at work as uh, we hear him speak. So let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the scriptures uh, that Jesus teaches us to trust. Thank you for the scriptures that speak about him. Uh, please do open our minds to hear and understand and to trust you in what you speak to us. In the Lord Jesus. Amen. Psalm 2 shows us the reality of the world we live in. It shows us what is. It shows us what will be. Now, it's not our instinct. Uh, mostly what we see when we look around us is men and women and children living their lives as best they know how. Uh, some with more success than others, uh, more, more or less uh, joy, satisfaction, pleasure. What Psalm 2 says is not what most of our friends think about the world and the people who live in it. It's not what is immediately obvious to us when we look at our friends, either those who believe or those who do not. But we know it is real and true because God says it. Or at least we know it is real and true if we trust him as he says it. There are lots of ways day to day where we trust. We trust what people say to us. Have you think about this? I thought I'd ask you what do you think this is. Uh, for those playing along at home on the podcast later, uh, it's a tin that I've wrapped up in some paper so you can't see what the label is on it. Uh, what do you think it is? What's, what's in it? Could be, yeah, could be anything. Uh, uh, dog food, uh, people food, tin tomatoes, baked beans, uh, chickpeas, tuna. But if we take the wrapping off, we find out someone was right. Yeah. Prize to Josiah. Um, the words on the side of the tin tell us what's in it. So what do you think's in it now? You sure no one swapped the label? Uh, yeah, that's what I thought when I bought it. I thought there are tomatoes in this tin. Uh, in fact, I thought there are tomatoes in this tin because um, there's a label on it that says there are tomatoes in it. If it was a, a tin with no label on it on the shelf, what level of confidence would I have them getting what I want? See, I trusted the words to tell me what I wouldn't have known if the tin had no label on it. I hope that what's inside it is what it says is inside it. I think there are tomatoes in it now, and I expect to find tomatoes inside when I pull the lid off. Because I trust the people who put the label on the tin. I have faith in the maker. Right up to the moment when I pop the lid open, I forgot to bring a jar to pour it into, um, right up to the moment uh, when I pop the lid open, I'll be acting on faith. When I open it, I'll see. Now, what would happen if I decided I wanted tuna, not tomatoes? You know, I could decide to distrust the label. 
Uh, I'm the label writer. I could, could squint my eyes until I can barely see it. I could look at, if I look at the right angle, it could decide that looks like a tin of tomato, or I could just write my own label and put it on and see what happens when I open it. What do you reckon I'll find inside once there's a label saying tuna on it? No, it's still tomatoes. Let's look at Psalm 2 and what it says about us and God. The labels, if you like. So let's look at what God says about the way things are and the way things will be. The first few voice verses point to humans and says they're rebels. We're rebels. Verse 3, the rebels say about God and his anointed king, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. The rebels act as if they can get out from under God's rule. They act as if life would be better if God did not rule them. When God made the world, he put a label on it. The label says that God is God and that we are not. That he made us, that he made the world in us. Sorry, he made the world we live in. Uh, That we should thank him, that we should honor him as our maker and the giver of all good gifts. The truth is there to see. But it's like we've squinted our eyes till we can barely see or close our eyes till we cannot see or covered the truth with our very own label. We don't see that every good gift we have is a gift from God that we should thank him for. We don't see that obeying the good God in the good world he made is the only way to be truly free. We don't see that every good gift is something we should thank him for. We hide the truth. We act as if it's not true. We act as if God is not God. We act as if we can get out from under his rule, as if life would be better if he didn't rule us. If you look at the world around us, look at yourself, you can see how it's working out for us. The psalm is asking why. Why do we ever think it would be possible to escape God's rule? Why do we ever think it would be better if we escaped God's rule? Then in verse 4, God laughs. It's not that he's amused. He laughs because resistance is futile. He isn't threatened by global rebellion. Uh, It's impossible to escape his rule. God laughs because resistance is futile. But he's also angry because resistance is offensive. Verse 5 mentions his wrath and fury. Resisting the ruler tells him very clearly, we'd be better off if you didn't rule us. That's what's been said through history, isn't it? By the Americans about the British, by Russians about the Tsars, by slaves about their masters, we'd be better off if you didn't rule us. Humans have been saying about God ever since Eve and Adam, we've been better off, we would be better off if you didn't rule us. It's offensive. It's like children looking their parents straight in the eye like they're the enemies of all enjoyment. It's like children looking at their parents straight in the eye like they're the enemies of all enjoyment when the parents are doing their best to do what's best for the children. Our rebellion implies that 
God is the enemy of all that's best. It's offensive to imply that we'd be better off if God didn't rule us. It's offensive and it's untrue. In a rebellion, we do damage to the world God has placed us in. Uh, We hurt one another. Uh, We even hurt the people we least want to hurt. And we experience the consequences of our own actions. Our rebellion is destructive. The Bible shows us God as a person who must defend his own reputation and will punish wrongdoing. Now, do you understand why the Bible is so full on about judgment? It's not because God doesn't care. It's not because God is enforcing some random rules. It's because his commands are what's best for us. (laughs) He will judge because our rebellion does damage and because our rebellion is an attack on his good reputation. Wrath and fury. Verses 6 to 9 say how he'll do it. God says, verse 6, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Uh, God promises a king uh, who, verse 2, he called anointed, a Hebrew Messiah, Greek Christ. Uh, Verse 7, the promised king then speaks. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. See, resistance really is futile. God calls his king his son, and the son of God will rule all nations. He will own the ends of the earth, all of it. He will defeat all his enemies. There can be no freedom from the son when his rule is over everything. There can be no freedom from God and his son. But there is freedom with God's son. Let's see that as you read on the next few verses. Verse 10 uh, says to the leaders and everyone wise up and be warned. Uh, the idea that, you, that you'll have, have it better off if God doesn't rule you is not true. Imagine that you can step out from, God's, from under God's rule is not true. Attempting it is offensive. Attempting it does damage. Verse 11 says, Stop acting as if you're your own best guide. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Don't be taken in by your instincts. You don't know better than God. Uh, You're not your own best guide. It's not your life to do with whatever you want. God who made you owns you. God who made you knows what's best for you. You're under the rule of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus owns everyone everywhere. So when you harm others, you harm his property. When you refuse his rule, you challenge his authority and you deny his goodness. The instinct to want to be free from him because you think life will be better without him, it is not true. tin of tomatoes is still a tin of tomatoes, no matter what label is added onto it. 
Saying I can't believe in a God who doesn't change what God is like. Or I like to think that God is, doesn't change what God is like. It's time to get in step with reality and keep in step with reality. Jesus is the king and we should and must submit. You should submit. Submit to the Lord, the living and true God. Submit to his king. That phrase in verse 12, kiss the son. It's the kiss of allegiance. It's the kind of bowing in submission and sworn loyalty. It's saying like, yeah, Jesus is the one I follow. The rest of the psalm explains why you would. Uh, verse 12, lest, uh, so that he doesn't, uh, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. God's anger is usually described as slow. We'll get to that in a moment. He delays. He doesn't fly off the handle as soon as someone provokes him and, and strike back. But here he says his wrath is quickly kindled. He delays his judgment. But while he delays, he is being provoked. While he delays reason after reason after reason for him to judge is stacked up. Like more and more dry tinder and kindling, uh, the easy to burn, until it's, it's ready for the slightest spark to send it off. The psalm says, see your danger. Being provoking God by treating him like you'd be better off without his role. See your danger. Saying escape. And escape from danger usually means running from danger. But when the danger is the inescapable God who, who, who rules everywhere, the God against whom resistance is futile, well, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to escape to except what it says here, except by turning to him. See, the only freedom is freedom with the Son of God. There's no refuge from Jesus, but wonderfully there's refuge in Jesus. See, the beginning of verse 12 is just saying there's an escape. Get away, get out, get out from under the judgment. But you and I need to know to be convinced that we would, we need, to be, we need to know and be reminded and reassured that it isn't a compromise. You see, I think this is where some of our friends get stuck. As if it would be great, the, the, the thinking it would be great to live without God interfering, that would be the ideal. But because living... Living as if God, well, living as a rebel, results in judgment. Well, then the least worst alternative is to line up with him just enough that I won't be judged. As if it would have been great to live with no interference from God who made us, but because living that way ends in judgment the least worst alternative is to acknowledge him so we won't be judged. The Bible says not at all. Refuge in Jesus isn't just safety. Look at the last line. Blessed 
are all who take refuge in him. The psalm speaks to kings and rulers, peoples and nations. It speaks to all of us and friends and family we live among. People may be convinced that they'd be better off without God ruling, but it just isn't true. Our Our instincts betray us when they fight for freedom from God. They are false guides. True blessing, the truly good life, the optimized life is life in this life and the next is found with Jesus, the Son of God, our rescuer and our ruler. True blessing, the truly good life, is a life with Jesus as his forgiven people. So trust him and keep on trusting him. That's what the psalm says. Now we're taking this opportunity to think back through things we've heard this year. So I want to mention some bits from Mark and Philippians and 2 Peter. As they connect into this psalm. Uh, Earlier this year in Mark's gospel, uh, we heard God speak to Jesus some words from Psalm 2. When he called Jesus his beloved son at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. he, He said, this is my son. We heard Jesus speak with absolute authority. Uh, We heard Jesus uh, connect him being the anointed Christ Messiah to his suffering, death, and resurrection. We heard Jesus explain his death, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it makes sense why there is refuge in him. All the damage and dishonor we have done, all the damage and dishonor we have done that deserve judgment that stacked up against us was stacked up on him. He took our guilt, our punishment, our shame. So he is our refuge. Mark finishes with Jesus raised to rule, just like the this, this psalm expects him, expects him to be. Uh, when we read Philippians, uh, Psalm 2 uh, echoed in the exaltation of Christ who humbled himself even to death, but then is raised as the one uh, whose name is above every name, to whom every knee will bow. I think there's also an echo of this psalm in uh, the invitation to find refuge in Jesus that echoes right through Philippians. When Paul Paul speaks... uh, Uh, to the Philippians as rescued people who will be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. He speaks to them as people who have found refuge in Jesus. When When Paul speaks his pleasure, when the gospel is preached to the lost around Rome, and he rejoices in believers calling men, women, and children to find refuge in Jesus, it's where the psalm sends us. We read uh, to Peter, uh, and there we heard Peter share um, this same passion to see the gospel preached. Uh, he explained why uh, God does not light his judgment, though it is so, so ready to go up in flames. That God is patient, that God pe- keeps putting up with provocation, that he delays judgment in order to save. He delays judgment in order to see more and more men, women, and children 
turn in trust to Jesus. And so this is a time in which there is still time to trust. For as long as God delays, it will be a good day to speed the final day by inviting men, women, and children to find refuge in Jesus. To find that he is the one who brings eternal blessings of forgiveness and eternal life. Those are kind of vibe connections from Psalm 2 into what we've been reading. Let me show you one specific connection. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter says that just after he looks back to what happened in history at the Mount of Transfiguration. When God in heaven said to Jesus, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Beloved son. This is my beloved son echoing Psalm 2. Peter speaks as someone who was on that mountain and who heard God say that to Jesus. He saw Jesus act with authority that meant that it made sense to him that it would be true. He saw Jesus, uh, or heard Jesus command wind and waves, demons, uh, disease, death, and they obeyed him. He saw Jesus raised from death, just as he said. So he proclaims Jesus as the one who now rules over all things and has promised to return to judge rebels and to bring his people safely home. See, because God spoke to Jesus, because Jesus is already raised, because Jesus has spoken his promise, we have the prophetic word made more certain. It was always true and certain, but now we have it more fully confirmed. It's like that moment when the lid comes off the tin, and inside, as expected, tomatoes. You kind of, as you open it, you know what you're going to find there because you're trusting what's been said. But then you see. Now you see that the label was always true. It's not hard to guess what's going to happen as you sort of tip it and some tomatoes come out. You know what's going to happen as you keep tipping. The label keeps proving true. You're still trusting the label as you pour, um, but you've seen some of the truth. You've seen some of what the label says come out, and so you're expecting even more to come out as it continues to pour. I Hopefully the illustration works for you. It's like that with Sam too. It was absolutely true when God spoke it. It told us what was, what is, what will be. It's absolutely true when God spoke it. But we live in the reality it speaks about. And some of what was future when it was spoken has already poured out in time. God's words about making his Messiah Christ ruler over everything have begun fulfillment in the authority of the Lord Jesus in his resurrection, in his ascension. God's words about human rebellion, yeah, they describe the world we live in. Uh, some people uh, get, their, get, get to rebellion by saying there's no God or they're following some other God. But one way or the other, all of us have lived as if we'd be better off if the God of the Bible, the living, true, and holy God, 
was not our ruler. Yeah, the Sam speaks and explains our experience. Oh, we can glimpse how offensive that is. We can, we can glimpse how destructive it is in our, in our lives, in our unfailing ability to hurt the people we least want to hurt. God's word explains our experience. God's word about judging um, our futile, our offensive, our, our destructive uh, rebellion. Well, he hasn't done that yet. Except he did pour out his wrath and anger on his son, the Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, punished, punished for us. So yes, Psalm 2 has already proved true. The lid's off. We've seen some poured out. The Bible has already proved true. There's more that we haven't seen yet. But it's not hard to guess what's going to happen as time continues to pour out. We can keep trusting God who speaks the Bible as time unfolds. Because we've already seen some of what God speaks come out as he said it would, we can be even more certain as we look forward to what happens next. Even more certain about what is true of us now. God speaks truly about our present reality. He speaks truly about what is next. And wonderfully, the invitation to come to safety still stands. It's the reason he delays judgment. So what do we do with all of this? We know it's true because God speaks it. So what? So do what you do when you find out something is true. When eventually I pull the lid off this, no, I'm not going to do it today. Um, Assuming I open it and I find inside here uh, whole peeled tomatoes and I see that what I think is true proves to be true I'll do what I was planning to do with the whole pill I don't have no plan yet but I'll do what I'm planning to do with them at the time what do we do when we see that what God says is true, describes our reality describes our future, describes what is well we do what we do when we trust someone that what they say is true we act as if what God says is true because we're convinced it is. Now, if you're curious but not yet convinced, is this edging you towards being convinced? Kind of hearing some of these connections? What would convince you? Are you starting to understand why many of us are convinced that these things are absolutely true, absolutely real? Uh, Please ask me or ask one of the other sojourners if you're kind of trying to work out the confidence thing. If you're convinced but not yet committed, well, what's holding you back? I think I want to say, what is it that you're not quite convinced about yet? Is it something about you or about God or about your friends? Again, please talk to me or one of the other sojourners as you think it through. If you're convinced and committed to Jesus, you have every reason to be captivated, committed, and concerned Captivated by our Father's love, committed to his family as your family, concerned for Brisbane and the nations. Because the reality is, if it wasn't for God's rescue in Christ, we'd all be judged and condemned. 
But in his great love, God in heaven punished his son so we can be free. The reality is that uh, God's saved people are his children and brothers and sisters with each other. He's given us to each other to help one another stand firm while we wait. The reality is that everyone will be judged if they don't turn to Christ. And we can do nothing better for the people of Brisbane and the nations than to speak God's warning and God's invitation to them. It's true. Act as if it's true. God shows us the reality of the world we live in. He tells us what is. He tells us what will be. His words, yeah, they cut against our instincts. But his words are true. They have proved true. Some of what he he has said is already poured out in history and in our experience. The rest will come. We need the constant reminders of his word to correct our instincts. And with those reminders, we can live with the grain of reality how things really are with our heads, hearts, and lives tuned more and more to eternal realities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do speak. Uh, Thank you that you've uh, revealed the truth both in creation and in your word concerning your Son. Father, please do help us to see that your word is true to see how it has proved true. Please do convict and convince and turn our hearts that we trust you. And Father, please, trusting you as you speak concerning yourself, your son, ourselves, believers, unbelievers. Father, please, as you show us what's true, cause us to live with what live in ways which reflect what's true, to keep in step with those realities. In the Lord Jesus, amen.